This is episode 67 of the Couples Therapist Couch. Welcome to the Couples Therapist Couch, the podcast for couples therapists, marriage counselors, and relationship coaches to explore the practice of couples therapy. And now, your host, Shane Burkle. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Couples Therapist Couch. This is your host, Shane Burkle, and uh, I'm excited to share with you a great episode that we have this week all about emotionally focused therapy. I know that um, everybody loves hearing uh, the episodes about the different couples therapy models, and I'm going to keep trying to get more guests who can speak to the different models and the different ways people work. But uh, I was so excited about this episode. It was with Dr. Rebecca Jorgensen from RebeccaJorgensen.com. And um, she is one of the leading trainers for emotionally focused therapy. She uh, trains therapists all over the world and um, teaches the externship and does supervision. And I would definitely check out her website. Like I said, RebeccaJorgensen.com. Uh, I thought obviously uh, EFT is one of the models that I mentioned in the report that I wrote comparing seven different couples therapy models, which you can find at CouplesTherapistCouch.com. And we talk about it a lot in the Facebook group. Um, if you haven't uh, been a part of that yet, you can definitely find out more information there. And um, uh, Dr. Rebecca Jorgensen, who goes by Becca, uh, actually has a group um, I believe it's called Emotionally Focused Therapy, uh, a Facebook group. So if you if you are interested in getting more specific just in that model, then you can definitely check that out. But um, with that, oh, one other thing I wanted to announce before we get to the episode is that uh, I'm going to be taking a scheduled break starting around Thanksgiving through the new year. So just about a month off and uh, we'll have about, I think, four more episodes including this one before we get to the break but um, just giving people a heads up about that and um, always uh, as always feel free to reach out uh, and um, let me know what you think about the podcast so without further introduction let's get right to the episode hey everyone welcome back to the couples therapist couch this is your host shane burkle and today I'm excited to be talking with Dr. Rebecca Jorgensen. Hi, Becca. Welcome to the show. Hi, Shane. So glad to be here. Well, I'm really excited to talk with you about emotionally focused therapy. And uh, for those of you who don't know already, Becca is a supervisor and trainer for emotionally focused therapy and is one of the leaders in teaching the model. But uh, before we get into talking about EFT, can you tell us more about yourself? Sure. I'm a, a grandma of 10. <laughs> oh, congratulations. How's that for a start? Um, you know, my a big family and lots of kids and lots of grandkids and they're spread out all over and it gives me joy to be able to travel around the world and teach therapists how to do couple therapy and then be able to stop in and see, see all my kids and the little kidlets when we're going around. Oh, that's great. Very exciting. So tell I've been teaching couple therapy for, oh, I don't know, the minute I left my externship with Sue Johnson, which was in Ottawa, 
years and years ago, like it's one of the first kind of externships that she was doing. She was only doing them once or twice a year in Ottawa. She wasn't going anywhere else. And I drove to Ottawa to see her. And as I pulled out of the parking lot, I just was on the phone calling a couple other supervisors that she had mentioned at the externship. Like, how do I get Sue Johnson to come to my state? This ha I got to get the word out. And I have been on that mission to promote EFT and attachment and bonding science uh, since that time. Oh, wow. And what, what year was that around? As you know, I think that was probably in... Oh gosh, I don't know. Two, two, ninety, two thousand and two thousand, two thousand. I'm not sure. Two thousand and one. Right. Yeah, right around two thousand, maybe. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, um, leading up to that time, had you? How did you find out about EFT, or had you heard much about it? Well, I had been in a long training program with John Gottman, and he always said these things like, if you want to learn about really great couple therapy research and you need to read Sue Johnson. So I read her initial book. And in those days I thought, <laughs> I thought if you, I always thought I was grown up. My mom always said, cause I was an early reader. If you can read, you can do anything, you know? So I read the book and I thought, okay, now I'm doing, I'm doing right. this couple therapy, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and then years later, really years later, when I, I was working at the master's level at that time, I went back for my PhD. I was at my pre-doctoral internship program, and I was working with some emotion-based therapists doing individual therapy in a mental hospital and things like that. And, and I got out of there thinking, I need to, you know, go get some more training from this Sue Johnson lady. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, and then when I was there and I saw her work, hadn't seen any of her work. I just read the book. I thought, boy, what I'm doing doesn't look anything like that at all. <laughs> right, right. I love and that. And then I found out you cannot read about EFT and learn how to do it. I, yeah, I love that. Uh, it's like the more you learn something, the worse you realize you are at it sometimes. Exactly. You know? um, it was a steep learning curve because I was all like CBT based, you know. Yeah, right, right. But that's great. Um, so once you, what, what inspired you so much about the model or what continues to inspire you and, and make you feel like it's um, the way to work for you? Well, I think it's because I got into therapy to make a difference and you can really see and feel and taste that couples are changing, that you have, we have a model of change that really works and that it works fast. I mean, not that we wouldn't spend years with some couples, but it works fast in the sense that we're working with emotion and that's where change happens. That's where meaning is made. That's where we're, what we're motivated by. And change events happen when we have really deep and rich emotional experiences. And so I could just see that the research bears that out from Sue Johnson. And then every time I sit with a couple and I see that we're co-creating their loving feelings again and developing a secure bond with them. It just, you know, I get the spark of that back. I get the benefit of um, kind of walking around with them in this love soup that they're, that we're recreating. And 
you know, a little bit of a connection high, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. And, um, but what, so what about the, this model in particular that, uh, you know, and we're going to go into, into greater detail, um, about what makes it work, but what do you feel like it, you know, specifically offers that's different from something like CBT, like you mentioned, or other models that are more maybe uh, academic focused? Yeah, well, I think what it really offers is uh, we have the science of bonding. You know, we used to call it attachment theory, but now we have enough science behind it that we really know there's a science of bonding. And we know the key moves that help people move from insecure to security in their bonded relationships. And we know that people are created to be, to have these strong bonds with each other. And that that's what builds security both inside of ourselves and, you know, within our relationships. So, so it works both within and between. And I just, and, and there's this map, you know, you know, I can say, where am I in this process and know kind of where to go into the next session. So it's great in that it gives you both the map, kind of where are we on it and the processes for moving through from point to point. Uh, so it's, it's intricacies are really well developed and beautiful and and the change is remarkable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't know if maybe it would be helpful to go into more detail with some of the steps or the phases of EFT, if that would be a good direction to, to go. Yeah, so the map tells us that there's a process that the therapist uses to engage with the couple. And as we engage in that process, the couple's going to move through these stages. First, they're going to de-escalate their conflict. And whether that conflict is um, combative or whether it's a lot of distance, you know, the conflict of can we get close can show up a different way. You know, I saw a couple recently where their conflict was because this big vacant spot between them where they'd been living parallel lives between each other and they're wanting to find some way to be closer. And so it can look either way, really high escalation, like, you know, people arguing and fighting or really distant or kind of the flip between those. So we'll move them into this de-escalation through a process that the therapist knows is very easy to learn. And then through, through another couple change events where the more withdrawn partner learns to engage within themselves um, so they can share more with their partner, with their sweetie. And so the more, and the more reactive or anxious partner can learn to also kind of slow down and share their fears um, with their sweetie so that they can feel the close connected relationship that really bonds them into security. So there's, really these three change events that we're looking for. But one process that the therapist is um, engaged in, mm -hmm. which looks a little bit like a wheel, it reminds me like lug nuts. We have a visual of it called the EFT Tango. It looks like little lug nuts, reminds me of a wheel on a car, you know, that we're riding this little wheel going through, going through this map. And uh, so it's really fun because 
it's, I think the hardest thing that makes, that makes it hard to learn or thing that makes it hardest learn, I'm probably jumping ahead a bit is that, you know, there is a, it, we are trying to stay on the roadmap <laughs> and, and we can be wobbly while we're learning. Right. Well, and as, as all of us know, probably as couples therapists, um, the couples can try to take us in all kinds of different directions. Sometimes it's hard for us to stay grounded because we're just going with wherever they're taking us. So it's important to be, to have a framework like that so that we have a sense of what, what we're doing in the room instead of uh, letting it just go in whatever direction. Yeah, it's really one of the biggest mistakes I think that couple therapists make is to try to have a general toolbox like we would have for individual therapy and just pull out one tool here or there kind of based on where the client is and, you know, fiddle around trying a bunch of stuff. For couple therapy, when you've got two people in the room, that we've got lots of research that that just doesn't work very well at all. We really need to have a model and that we kind of lead the process, whatever that is, so that um, we can help the couple. Otherwise, their, their um, system will take over the therapy and we won't help them get anywhere. Yeah, that's great. So you have a couple who comes into your office. Um, you, this is, you mentioned this before, but um, just to make sure I heard it correctly, is one of the first things you're doing is trying to identify the patterns and then work toward de-escalation? Yeah, of course, the first thing we're going to do, like any good therapist, is an assessment. <laughs> you know, like, uh -huh. is this even good to work with this any every couple therapy you have to do an assessment for appropriateness of couple therapy and so after that then what we start to look at is what is their system what does that look like what is the pattern between them how does this distance or escalation block them from developing this the security that they want just like the idea of can they stay in a difficult conversation you know like lots of how do we block those difficult conversations or how do we shut our partner down or try to emphasize our point, make our point better than our partner's point? You know, those are ways that all bring more disconnection to couples. And we all do it. You know, I did it with my husband just yesterday. He was pointing out, you're making me feel like the bad guy here. I'm like, oh, dang, am I? You know, so we all do it. But sometimes it's so rigid that one partner couldn't say that. Hey, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little bit beat up here by what you're saying, or you're making it my all, all my fault, or hey, I'm feeling defensive, you know, we're just trying to help couples, how can they stay in those hard conversations that when we feel insecure, we want more support, or we do have a point that we want to be seen and heard, how do we do that in a way that brings us closer together? So that we're looking at that system, what blocks couples from doing that? Yeah, and I love that normalizing, even the healthiest couples or even us as therapists in our relationships um, do, do the exact same things. But I think the couples who we often see in our office just feel so stuck. They can't, you know, I think um, you have to have a way to communicate about it like you were talking about. Um, and those couples haven't figured out sort of that way of working through it. Yeah, that's right. How do we throw up the white flag or how do we create repair? We know from the research that um, couples, um, cu all couples do this kind of stuff, right? But 
how do we come back and repair and secure couples and really happy couples? They bring up the problems fast and they repair them quickly. Right? They, it doesn't go underground. It doesn't escalate to a way of when they feel like, hey, that hurt my feelings or we're not on the same page. They stay in those conversations. When their feelings get hurt, they bring it up quickly and they repair. So we're going to step on each other's toes all the time. We're dancing in close proximity using kind of a Sue Johnson metaphor. So there's no way that we're not going to bump into each other's as sweethearts and step on each other's toes. But we go, oh, gee, I'm so sorry. And we repair quickly um, or figure out what we're doing so that we can not do that so often. Mm-hmm. And it's really about the emotional resonance, co-regulation, more than it is about any behavior per se. Right. Well, and can you say more about, um, if I'm the therapist in the room and uh, I'm recognizing some of these patterns, well, first of all, I'm thinking, how do you, how do you manage that at the beginning particularly, sometimes it feels very difficult to manage the session when both couples really want to feel heard. But then um, what, what does that look like as you're starting off with them? Well, we try to lay some structure down for that. I'm, I'm going to interrupt when, it, when they start. Once I've seen how that goes with them, I don't need to see it anymore. I want therapy to be a safe place where people can explore their concerns and be heard, be deeply understood, first by me and then hopefully by their sweetie as well. So I have a we all need to have a bunch of management abilities to do that, right? Whether we play traffic cop at times, you know, sometimes I put my hand up in between them and say, talk to me, you know, redirect them. Maybe I just interrupt them. Uh, maybe I t- I'll always tell my, the couples that I'm working with beforehand, at least I try to remember to tell them, I'll probably interrupt them. That can be so hard for a therapist when we've come from training that says follow the client just to do a simple interruption or if you're anything like me and you are raised in a family that said children are to be seen and not heard and don't you ever interrupt you know like I can go oh no and there's this tension and now I'm supposed to be the one to interrupt it so we do have to learn how to do that and with highly escalated couples I mean I've been known to sit on the couch in between them to stop them from yelling at each other, (laughs) you know, just get up and block that argument. However I could, doesn't happen very often, probably less than 10 times in my whole career, but you know, you sometimes you, you have to, you have to stop it. Right. I have to, I have to try that sometime. (laughs) I'll just ask one of the partners to trade seats with me. And I'll sit on the couch next to the other partner. Yeah, I yeah, wave yeah. my hands at them. I tap their knees. Talk to me. You guys you need to slow down. We got to stop. You know this. We can't do this here. You know this is different. You can do this at home without paying me, right? That's right. Right. I think that's a great line to tell couples. And and I think when I think you're exactly right as far as uh, it feels uncomfortable or confrontational for us as therapists who um, have been trained in individual therapy, like you said, and who tend to be very full of empathy and not wanting to be confrontational. But um, it's so important, and that safety is such a key part of it. And yeah. um, I've ha- I had a, a woman tell me one time after the, 
this was, I think she emailed me after the session, like, thank you so much for stopping us because it yeah. made me feel safe just to stay in the session. Um, yeah, so important. That's right. Yeah. So we're actually, it is actually acting with empathy and compassion for the couple when we interrupt them and stop them and keep control of the session. Yeah, we're, we're kind of, the intention isn't to model good and healthy boundaries, but we're creating a safe space. And that's really, really important. And, um, you know, couples really do. Partners appreciate it. Nobody, the other thing I've really come to know over the years is that when we're responding out of reactivity, us or our clients, like none of us like that. We don't like when we're not being our best selves. It's painful. We don't like it. And having someone help us to stop that is really a very compassionate thing to do. And it might be hard. Like I might go, oh, yeah, oh, that's hard. Oh, okay, I'll stop, you know. And I may take all my effort to wind that back in, you know. But then I'm so glad. Like, oh, yeah, because otherwise I'm just on automatic doing reactive things. And I feel worse about myself after I've done that. And our clients do too. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know about you, but um, I I always get the feedback that clients are so appreciative of that kind of directiveness. They don't when they're coming in for couples therapy and and they're trying to work through these communication things. They want somebody who's going to be uh, involved. They don't want the like the same thing that they feel like at home. And for the therapist just to sit back and listen. Exactly because. If they could have figured it out on their own, they wouldn't be in our office, right? Right. They could stop it, do something different, figure it out on their own. They wouldn't be there. So they really do look to us to help them. And that's one of the very early ways that we can do that is to help to structure the session and make sure that, uh, you know, for me, once I know what their negative pattern and system is, once that trigger comes alive in the room, I want to interrupt it because... That's people working on automatic reactivity that just the more rigid they are, the quicker that shows up. And we want to interrupt that because then that helps the awareness come about the quicker we are to, the tr to seeing the trigger and stopping the reactivity, the easier it is for them to become aware of what was the trigger and what's really under it. So that... I think is really an important way that we can start to intervene. Um, but now, of course, I'm already talking about emotion when I start to talk about, you know, triggers and moving into reactivity because it's emotion that leads that process. And there is a whole process of emotion that emotionally focused therapy are trained to watch for. It's from Magna Arnold's research about having a cue or a trigger, and then the limbic appraisal, the unconscious initial appraisal, which moves into then our bodily response. Right? This is the amygdala, limbic system, fight, flight um, response. And then that moves into our bodily response for preparedness to do the fight or flee, right? Um, and, and that then converts to we, we reappraise why this is happening, what's happening, and then we have behavior. So emotion moves us, moves us into action or inaction. And so we're watching for that as EFT therapists to, once we know that system, we know how these triggers from each sweetie 
interplay with the other one's internal process of emotion. And that's kind of what we're working then in this first stage to bring to light is what are, what's the danger cue that we're picking up from each other when we get caught in that negative automatic pattern or system that gets co-created by each sweetheart in the relationship. Yeah, that was amazing. That, there was a lot packed in what you were just talking about. <laughs> I know. I so, think I probably should give an example that was, for that. That was great. Yeah. Can you, yeah. Can you, uh, yeah. Give us an example. That'd be great. Okay. So um, I'll just think of a client I worked with recently and it could, one of the things that's also really great about the process of emotion and human beings and what we're afraid of when it comes to our close relationships like we do have this science so that we know that we really need connection, that we really need a sense that you got my back. You're my person if you're my sweetie and I can count on you, right? So we already know that any signal that sends to me that if you're my sweetie, that I don't, I'm not sure I can count on you, that's going to trigger my alarm. That's a danger signal to me, right? So you could say, yeah, sorry, I forgot to bring home the whatever from the grocery store. And I, and I can read that as a danger signal because what, oh, are my needs not important to you? I'm not sure that my needs are important to you. I can take very little behaviors and make this meaning out of them that says, see, evidence, I'm not sure you're with me. So that could trigger my fight or flee response. And if I'm a fighter... I can move into, oh, what? But I told you, <laughs> I told you I needed that. Didn't you listen to me? Where, you know, aren't I important? How come you're not paying attention? I can move that right into some sort of, you know, verbal prosecution. <laughs> and right. that's my behavior, right? And the meaning that I'm making that moves me into that behavior is, see, I got to try harder to get through to you so that I can get your attention and I can get your responsiveness. So that's a real quick breakdown of the process of emotion. Yeah, and, and as an EFT therapist, as I'm working with this couple, uh, and maybe this is different if it's the first session and maybe as compared to already having done several sessions of work with them, but you have one partner coming in and saying, you know, she did this, 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 and this. And the other partner says, well, if he hadn't done this, this, and this, then I would have, whatever. What, what do you do? What does that look like in the room? What are you doing? How do you guide them to um, that place of connecting to those more important emotions that you're talking about? Well, so we're going to slow that down and let each partner know. I'm letting each sweetheart know I need to understand what happens for them in relation to this conversation that you just outlined. So after an assessment, I have a good alliance, hopefully, you know, I've done my assessment session. So I come in with a good alliance, understanding their background, understanding their sensitivities to um, what might be hurtful to them. So when I hear that dialogue, I can already start to organize that a little bit in this process of emotion. Oh, so they're kind of caught in this who's right and who's wrong. <laughs> now let me point out you're worse than I am system, which is a very common system for couples, right? But usually it starts with one person saying, hey, 
you didn't listen to me or you didn't do this or that. Usually it starts where one sweetie kind of is protesting and the other one then gets defensive, right? Like, wait, what do you mean I didn't? You didn't, right? right. So, it's so then we know already something about that because attachment science and the process of emotion tell if if i if you're my most important person and what i get from you is this message that i'm not doing things right that's painful man that's a painful message right so i either i have a couple choices i either if i'm really secure i can go oh you're right man i guess i didn't really listen to you i was really distracted this morning i'm sorry tell me again you're important and i want to know what that is that'd be a response right or i can go that's just not true you know i do this 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 and this for you and you just don't pay attention to what i do for you right so i can deny and dismiss and reject your claims right mm -hmm. or i can kind of flip them back onto you so i can i can like ignore it deny it oh there you go again you're just you're just complaining that's you you're just always bringing up the small stuff i'm going on my merry way right i can like shut down that painful response that alarm or i can get hot and defensive and go no wait you don't pay attention to me and throw it back at you all right so we know as humans it's like not rocket science which is really great for us who are therapists and not like you know neurosurgeons that we can know these uh, these responses and there's not a lot of them i either can be securely securely respond or i can try to get away from my pain and ignore it and handle my emotion by suppressing it repressing it acting like it's not there or get more heated up and fight back right and so we don't have that many choices again it's kind of fight, flee, or we can go into this additional response of freeze. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's not that complicated, really. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like if you have two partners who are in the room and they're very heated, that um, it's really important as the therapist that you want to hear each of them. You want to you make it clear that you want to listen to each of them and then as you are taking in what they're saying and listening, you might be, I don't know, I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong. You might be modeling for them exactly what you're talking about that their partner is trying to learn, which is what, you know, what I hear you saying, I'm taking it in. That must have been really frustrating for you. Um, and then you're sort of calming their nervous system by listening in that way and helping them express it in a way that might be more meaningful and in a way their partner might be able to hear better. That's right. The more open and curious and reflecting I am of their dilemma, right? things start to settle down in the room, which helps the partner. So I, I co-regulate the whole system mm -hmm. by being open and curious in the middle of that dilemma. I have to stop that argument first and find a place to go in. But then I'm open, curious, I'm reflective of their problem, understanding. Um, and then, and then I'm going to try to do that with both sweethearts and interconnect then how, how these signals get crossed up because couples want the same thing by and large. They want to be understood and seen and held as precious to their sweetie. 
and then these automatic responses of kind of avoiding our hurt places and our insecurities and not knowing how to open them up in a way that pulls our partner close is where we get in trouble. Most of us have never had that modeled for us or vulnerability meant weak and bad. And besides that, we're supposed to grow up and be independent, aren't we? <laughs> not, not needy, not needing someone's love and nurturing and attention. So we get lots of mixed signals in our, the way we're raised and in the environment. So we're trying to slow that all down and do like you say, be open, curious, reflective. And that starts to settle the system so that they can trust that John Bowlby talks about the, us being all needing a stronger, wiser other. You know, we kind of become the stronger, wiser other in the room where we can hold them and hold their reactions and understand them, hold their, their reactivity, really. I mean, if somebody's really mad, I'm not going to go, oh, that's so hard. You're so mad, right? I mean, if my friend was really mad, I'm going to go, oh, yeah, that stinks. That's terrible. Right? So mm -hmm. they feel really heard and really met where they are. So I've got to be able to kind of learn that I can, as a therapist, I can shift. Like I know I'm familiar enough with emotion and the ways that it sparks up and gets more intense or the way it starts to sink down and go underground that I can change my stance a little bit, bit with the tone of the flavor of the emotion of the person I'm working with. So they can feel really, really deeply understood. That's really what we're trying to do is help them feel deeply understood and also kind of be a process mirror or reflector to see where it is they get caught with each other. That's hard for us sometimes as therapists to do. We've got to be kind of flexible ourselves to do that. Yeah, well, and I, this might be changing directions a little bit, but I know you do a lot of training of therapists. And um, if you could speak a little bit to ourself as a therapist or our own personal work that's necessary to be able to do this model, that, that would be great. Well, it's really helpful to have support to do this model because one, we feel shaky when we're learning. We're humans too. So same thing that is kind of a parallel process for our couples as is for us. Like when we're trying to learn something new, we're going to feel insecure. How do we handle our insecurity? Where do we get support for it? How do we feel about that? Um, I know when I was first learning EFT, I came in with this idea, like I'm already a licensed therapist and I should know how to do this stuff. Well, that really worked against me because every time I didn't know something, I felt ashamed I felt bad and of course that blocks my learning right that that um, that would make me work harder because I want to prove that I know something but it actually made it harder to be a co-regulator of emotion in the room because I it was hard for me to touch those insecure places so as a therapist our self a therapist can facilitate or make it harder for us to learn to co-regulate other people's emotion. It's um, Carl Rogers had this great, um, I'm going to misquote it. So maybe I shouldn't say it. There's a great, a great um, statement about as if, um, sorry, I shouldn't have said Carl Rogers in Rogerian therapy, like as if, if we can be with the client as if so that we can use our own empathy 
we can find that feeling that they feel and relate to it as if it were ours, but we know it's not ours. We can keep our own stuff separate. That that's really an important thing for us as couple therapists to be able to do. So if I get stirred up in session or I go, oh man, I don't like that client or that person so hard for me or I over identify with one of the partners and the struggle that they're having because I have that similar <laughs> struggle at home. I need to be able to go, okay, that's something I probably need to process and get support about so I can be stay open and curious and engaged with both partners in a balanced way. Yeah, because that's really what we're asking the partners to do for each other. And that's what we have to do in our own life with the people in our families and uh, who we're connected to is to see that, you know, that attachment uh, system that um, part of it is just the way that we're, we're wired. Part of it is what we grow up with, but that um, it's easy, It's very easy to perceive my wife or my kids or my parents as like being on the attack and I have to defend myself against them. And so even as a therapist in the presence of our clients, feeling that feeling like you really don't like this person or something is just an opportunity perhaps to continue our own work of, of seeing that person more clearly, getting beyond that, um, those triggers. Yeah, it's so cool because as therapists, hopefully we're all willing and open to do our own work. And when we start to work with couples, we'll find pockets of things that in relationship that maybe we haven't recognized before or comes at us from a little bit of a different angle. And so being able to understand that and our own relationships, of course, start to come up when we see, when we see distressed couples things are going to have the similar flavor to the things we experience in our own relationships and being able to, we don't want to become the shoemakers family who doesn't have any shoes. You know, we, we want, we don't want to be the couple therapist who doesn't have a good relationship or who feels so burnt out from doing the couple therapy that we can't invest into our own relationships or into our own, understanding in our own work and so I think that's a challenge for couple therapists because it can take a lot of energy and when we're working with relationships of course it's going to reflect our own relationships or our own sore spots and that can either be kind of um, a pr- help us move into our own growth hopefully that's what it does right it helps us continue to grow and learn and be lifelong learners. Um, Or it can really become a risk to our own relationship. And I think that's the thing we mostly want to avoid is how to use what's happening in the room and in our own lives in a way that we can see it as an opportunity for growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I definitely think that if, uh, if a therapist is feeling that, um, burnt out feeling and really affected by certain clients or just by clients overall, you know, it is, it is a really probably a good example that 
they are taking too much, you know, maybe um, having a hard time with those, those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're too tied into the outcome of what's going on in the situation with the clients. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so helpful to have a framework like EFT or um, other models, which I think are great, but you have this clear understanding of how you're helping the client work through it. And you have a, there's a huge amount of acceptance around this is where they're at in the process and they may not be nearly as far as you would hope they would be, but that's okay. That's understandable. It makes sense. It doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong as a therapist. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then we can keep in mind too, what do I need to learn or what skill do I need to develop so that I can engage them in that process in a way that helps them be responsible for the process and I'm just helping facilitate change. Um, and I can look, I can use supervision or support, you know, be in a Facebook group or something and you say, I know you have one, I have one too, that, that people can get support from uh, and supervision from uh, with, you know, get a supervisor and work on those things that might block us from being engaged in a process like gosh i know i right here the map the process map would tell me after i access emotion with this partner i ought to have them share it and communicate it with their partner you know i set up an enactment and oh wait i look at my video and i go wow i didn't do that at all i wonder why you know because i knew to do it what happened to me that I didn't do it? So if I have the skill and then I avoid doing something, right, then I, I can look at what it, what's going on for me right there as a therapist, that I'm not facilitating that change in the way that I've been trained or the way that I know. And so getting support and supervision around those things can really help us come up with our own blocks. Like, wow, I'm really afraid if I had that partner share, their sweetheart would just reject them and bash them for that bit of vulnerability. So I avoided that, right? So we can um, start to understand what we can do in our own growth and development to help use this, like in emotionally focused therapy, this very well-researched map and the processes of EFT are also very well-researched. So we know when to do kind of what, right? And if we're not doing those things and we know to do them, then we can start to understand and look at and explore, grow with what is it that got in the way. Yeah. And um, the better that I become at uh, compassion for myself, I think the better I can be compassionate with the clients I'm working with too, that if, if that would happen, and uh, I tried something in the, in the session and it really didn't work and it fell flat. And for this particular couple, it didn't go anywhere that I, that I say, okay, that's okay. This is part of the learning process. It's like learning an instrument. You know, you're not going to be good at it the, as you're trying to begin learning how to play or you're starting to learn a new song. It's like you, that, comf- that comfort with imperfection, I think, is such a big part of it. So important to have that sense of, you know, comfort in learning and taking it as feedback, not as failure. You know, those things are so important. When you talked about compassion, it reminds me of the, the research on empathy on the mirror neurons that um, I don't know if you've read 
that work, but, um, and the mirror neurons were when they were discovered that they always thought that the mirror neuron was like a separate kind of a neuron, but they're, they just look like any other neuron until they've received empathy. And then when a mirror neuron has received empathy, it, it mutates or changes into becoming a mirror neuron. And they're all over our brain. Um, this is Marco Icaboni's research. They're everywhere in our brain. Usually just thought they were initially in the social part of our brain, but they're not. So we can feel all kinds of stuff, you know, physical stuff as well as emotional things. It's not just in the social part of our brain. And that the way mirror neurons become mirror neurons is through the receiving of empathy. So for us to be self-compassionate actually takes us having an understanding other <laughs> for us <laughs> so that we can grow that too, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. And I love um, how much the science is continuing to support um, the things that we're doing in therapy. Uh, it's incredible to see uh, and, to, and to feel that uh, justification or you know, support for the work that we do. Yeah, one, one is just a little side note on this research around compassion is that there's been some research on, the, on using warmth in couple therapy, so compassionate, warm responsiveness, and that when there's a pursuer and withdrawer in the relationship, which is a very common kind of positions, you know, one person that shuts down and goes away and one that protests, disconnection, that when we are compassionate and warm with the one that shuts down, they become more compassionate and warm with their protesting partner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's another thing. I don't know if, I don't know if it comes from, you know, the training that we go through to become therapists or what, but I think that people feel like they have to bring this level of professionalism um, or in it, but it, but sometimes it almost comes across as distance or like, a lack of connection with the clients we're working with. And I think there's a huge difference between having good boundaries. Um, I think if you, if you do have good boundaries, you can bring a lot of love and caring for the clients that we're working with. And uh, it's so important to have that. We, well, your training maybe have been similar to mine where, you know, you're a blank slate or you're a clear reflector or something. But what we know from the research with, um, emotionally focused therapy is I got to be me, you know, bringing me and my compassion and my warmth and my understanding to the system to have that open curiousness that slows and co-regulates emotion. And I do that from my development around having an empathic, compassionate response to others. And that's got to show and they've got to feel it. And that means I've got to let their, them impact me. So, cause that's what empathy is, right? Feeling with, so I'm certainly gonna, that's gonna impact me as well. And we are the tool as the, the therapy is kind of the procedure or the how to, but the therapist is the tool for change. And, you know, the model can well inform us of what to do when and give us really good boundaries and good structure of what to do when, um, and, but we are, our system 
who we are as people and our compassion and caring, using that within a model framework so we have good boundaries about that around that is really important. Most That's of us great. were taught not to bring ourselves into the session, but that's right. It's vital that we do. That's right. It's a new way of learning. And that's, a, you know, just, just another reason why I think it's so important that people get training specifically for couples therapy. And um, it's so important to be grounded in some kind of model when we're doing this work, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, really easy to get lost if we don't have that. Yeah, totally. Uh, any other final thoughts as we begin to wrap it up? Um, well, I think that we touched on just a little bit. The final thought is that get make sure you have good support because at least if you're working with couples and you're effective, that this, um, and we're, when we're working with emotion, I see this a lot with therapists that I train and supervise and have online groups and supervision that I do, that we, we work with these longings for more closeness and understanding what's missing in couple relationships that couples sweethearts are missing from each other. You know, we will amplify some of those longings to help them move towards each other and open their own compassionate hearts. And that can open up our own longings, that empathy. Mm-hmm. And, and that can put our own relationships at risk if we're not, no, if we're not being mindful about how we, what we're doing, how we're doing, and that we, and having support, you know, for the, the feelings that we're seeing or the couple's struggles, you know, that we're really relating to. So it's really important, I think, to have support around that. Yeah, that's great. And like you mentioned, you know, there are Facebook groups out there. There are, obviously, everyone should be in a peer supervision group where they have a, yeah. a small group of people to talk about these things with. And then, uh, you know, sometimes it's really helpful to get that just one-on-one supervision as well, if um, if necessary. Any anything else that I missed as far yeah, as yeah, those uh, are really important things. Yeah. I think to have, you know, some general support, some peer some peer support, and then you know, supervisor supervision, whether that's individual or in a group, where you can review your work and get support from someone who knows the model that you're implementing um and then and also that can help us then with our own personal stuff that comes up when it comes up it will come up (laughs) yes yes and um i i also wanted to mention before we wrap up um that that you offer a uh, video series about that um just sort of walks people through the all of the steps or sessions of doing EFT, which you're, you know, kind of well known for, uh, which I think is really cool. I think uh, what what a what I can't think of a better way of learning something than to just see someone do the model itself. And I haven't watched it yet, but I definitely will at some point. Um, I'll have to hook you up with that somehow. Um, yeah, I've got yeah. two best-selling training videos. One is emotionally focused therapy step by step, and really proud of this one. Um, both of these are partnered with psychotherapy.net. And the EFT step-by-step is probably, there'll probably be nothing ever like it again. It's the most highly produced and professionally edited and produced. I didn't do that part of it. You know, I just did the therapy and some of the commentary, but uh-huh. it was an amazing job about um, 
you know, segmenting into the EFT, into step-by-steps -step with different therapists, different couples, going through the interventions, going through the steps and stages. It's a great home study course. And uh, that's very useful for people to review, to do either as an introduction or as a review to the model. I think it's really um, just an amazing, I, I mean, I didn't have all to do with that production stuff, but it's, it's really um, an amazing therapy video. Usually it's just, usually therapists aren't that great at producing videos. So it's a really good training course. Yeah, um, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's really fun. And then there's one of me that's 10 sessions uncut, unedited of me just going through every, every moment that I was sitting with this couple um, was on film and you can <laughs> buy all 10 sessions. And the really good part about it, I mean, I'm a better therapist now than I was then. So that's my little shame, my little shame buster there for myself. Um, I keep getting better, but what people really like about that the best is that, I mean, I don't have blazing attunement and I miss and I don't do everything by the book at times or, you know, one of the clients gets angry and I try to dive under the anger to the sadness, you know, and ignore the anger. Like I make some pretty big missteps in there. And um, then you can see how I get back on track with the couple. So I think that one's pretty people uh, have found, have given me that feedback that that's pretty useful as well. So many, there's great EFT videos and courses and online courses available to support people kind of on a mission to help people have the support they need to learn the model. Well, it's really simple. You know, people are complex and it requires us to kind of know some moves in and around things that we, um, we get caught with we've had really severe yeah and like you said it may be simple to you know read the book and understand you know you can you can spout off all the steps but um actually putting it into practice is something that you can continue improving upon for decades i'm sure um kind of like riding a bike you know lots yeah. of moving components at one time if you've never been on a bike before it takes a little bit of practice to master that yeah I'm trying to think of an analogy. It's something, it feels a lot harder than riding a bike, but. Oh, you've been riding a bike for a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. How about backwards? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. But um, thank you so much, Becca. I really appreciate you um, being on the show and it's so great to connect with you. And uh, how can people find you? What's the best way for them to find you or connect with you? So Dr. Rebecca Jorgensen, that's my website. I'm there on Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, probably a little bit. And then the Facebook group, which is Emotionally Focused Therapy. It's a private group. Great, great. And I'll put some links to those things in the show notes. It's the, the group is Emotionally Focused Therapy? Yeah, it's groups, you know, Facebook groups yeah. slash Emotionally Focused Therapy. Great. All right. Awesome. Um, thank you Thanks so much for all you do to promote good and good couple therapy because I mean, couple therapy is so important. It's, you know, it's where it makes the environment that kids are raised in. It's the place that we can really change generations, I think, is through this main dyadic system of the couple 
and the loving relationship that we all rely on so much. So um, I just think it's so important that we are able to do it well. Oh yeah, I love that. I love talking about how, you know, we're changing legacies for generations to come by the work that we do. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. All right, well, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye. All right, thank you so much, Becca. I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, it's always great to talk about EFT, and uh, I learned so much from the conversation. If um, you're interested in learning more, definitely go to RebeccaJorgensen.com. And uh, as I mentioned before, she has uh, some trainings available there, and um, she does a lot of tra training, live trainings, and she does supervision. So there's a, a lot to check out there. And, and uh, you can find her in the Facebook group, which is called Emotionally Focused Therapy. And uh, you can also find her on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So thank you so much for being here. As I mentioned before, definitely uh, go to CouplesTherapistCouch.com and get the uh, report comparing seven different couples therapy models and uh, join the Couples Therapist Couch Facebook group. But um, it's always good talking with you. Uh, thank you so much for being here, and I will talk to you next week.